sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Neil Young is a singer, songwriter, uh, musician, was part of the band uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You heard of this guy? You know who this is? Uh, He gave an interview to the New York Times Magazine uh, nearly five years ago. He was honest and, and open and transparent in that interview, in that article. The, uh, the article described him as uh, he, he was honest and open, particularly about his drug use in the past, especially marijuana. The article described him as having many youthful pharmaceutical adventures. Creative way to put it. But his uh, life is, is different now. He was someone who, uh, he describes in that article that he was someone who smoked pot as, as regularly as people smoked cigarettes. But his life has transitioned from that to a life of sobriety. And that change has not come without its challenges. And in this article, there was one thing that stood out to me that that he said. He said this, he said, The straighter I am, the more alert I am, the less I know myself, and the harder it is to recognize myself. I need a little grounding in something, and I am looking for it everywhere. Now, we might be critical at first glance at at this kind of statement, at what he's saying, and say, well, of course, if you have been doing drugs for decade after decade after decade, you're now going to have a hard time finding out who you are. We might be critical as we look at this statement. But I rather want to look at this statement and say, this is, this is a guy who is on his way. You know, one of the most important and one of the most difficult questions that we need to ask ourselves is, is who am I? And Neil Young has realized, as he's now in later life asking this question, who am I? He has realized 
that in order to answer that question, we have got to be grounded in something beyond ourselves. We must be grounded in, in, in a little something. If we, we have to be grounded in something above and beyond, and he is looking for it. Now, we know what it is that we need to be grounded in in order to find ourselves and to ask and answer the question, who am I? We must be grounded in the one who created us. We have to be grounded in the person and in the work of Jesus. But Neil Young is on his way because he has realized in order to know who I am, I've got to be in connection to something beyond myself. It's one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves, who am I? Well, well, Neil Young is not the only one who is on this journey to know himself, of course. The disciples, the twelve, are on this journey as well. And as we continue our own journey through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see in today's passage uh, that like Neil Young, they need a grounding in something beyond themselves. The disciples need this, you need it, uh, I need it. And so today as we go through our passage, we're going to be looking at Mark 8 verses 14 through 21. As we go through this, we are going to see that the disciples are not understanding themselves, they are not understanding Jesus, they have a lot of confusion going on. They lack self-awareness. And so what I want to do today as we go through this passage and then afterward is we're going to find how it is that you and I are to cultivate a Christian self-awareness. That we would know indeed who we are in, in light of who God is. Before we get to the passage, let me give you a, a definition of self-awareness. Dictionary definition of self-awareness, conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires. We're going to see in today's passage that the disciples are not even sure what the desires are that they are supposed to have. They're not even sure who they are supposed to be. They are confused both about the goal and about who they actually are as they are in a boat with Jesus. To somewhat Christianize this definition, self-awareness is, is really conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires in light of Scripture and in light of the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's now turn to the passage. We'll work through that, and then we'll draw these implications out. I have five of them this morning as we seek to cultivate a Christian self-awareness. So hopefully you've got your Bibles open in front of you. If you don't, they're in the chairs in front of you. Go ahead and grab one. Mark chapter 8. And let me set the stage, as it were, because it's important that we connect the passage we're looking at with the passage that precedes. And Mark, uh, like me, gives uh, topographical details. And and, uh, I don't know if if Mark had maps in his uh, house or not, like I do. But uh, let me just set the stage of where they are topographically and what's going on, especially for those of you that haven't been here. So in Mark chapter 8, if you'll look at verse uh, chapter 8, And verse 10, he got into the boat with his disciples and he went to the region of Dalmanutha. And so this is the area um, in the center. This is a modern day map, but you can see kind of right in the center of of the lake here, uh, the Sea of Galilee 
is Tiberias, this area where there's lots of development and so forth. And so that area is the, the region that they're in of Dalmanutha. And they, this is where they were. And then it says in verse 13, they, then he left them. Jesus left the Pharisees, got into the boat, and crossed to the other side. And so he w- was on this western, you know, central western area of the lake, and he goes to the other side toward the, the north and eastern part of the lake to Bethsaida. So this is where our passage takes place. As they, Jesus and the disciples are in the boat moving in that upper right direction on the screen there. And they are headed to Bethsaida. We see that in verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. So they're in the boat. That's just setting the context of where we are in today's passage. Let's look at it beginning at verse 14. It says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, as we get into this passage, notice the very first thing in this unit of Scripture, the very first thing that happens is Mark is telling us that they had forgotten to bring bread. Now, if you haven't been here in recent weeks or you haven't been studying the Gospel of Mark, what would come to the mind of the careful reader of Mark's Gospel is is they've been in the boat several times with bread. And the number of loaves have been described to us right before the feeding of the 5,000. They had five loaves of bread in the boat. This is kind of a normal amount. If you're going to head across this lake, uh, nourishment and food for 13 people or so, they had, they had five. And then before they uh, go to feed the 4,000, they don't know that's where they're going, but on that boat journey, they had seven loaves of bread with them. But here, as they begin this journey, Mark tells us right at the beginning of this section that they only have one loaf, not five, not seven. They don't have what you would expect to have for a boat journey with 13 people in this boat going across the lake. And so in that context, Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Watch out for the yeast or the leaven. This, this word is used to describe the corruption uh, of the Pharisees and of Herod. One commentator writes this. He says, in both Jewish and Hellenistic circles, leaven was a common metaphor for corruption. So Jesus is telling them as they're in this boat, as they're on their way uh, through the journey, on their minds is the fact that they've only brought one loaf of bread. Jesus is telling them to watch out for this corruption, this selfishness that is so present in the Bible guys, in the religious leaders, in the Pharisees, and in Herod. Now, you might be asking, why is Herod mentioned here along with the Pharisees? They've just left the Pharisees as they were seeking a sign. But in Luke chapter 3, we know this about Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him to perform Uh, to see him perform some miracle. So there's a point of connection here from this region they've just left where Tiberias is the capital of Herod's territory. Both Herod and the Pharisees are the kind of people who want Jesus to do things for them. They want Jesus to work for them. Show us a sign from heaven. I want to see him do a miracle. I want Jesus to fit into my schedule and my life and do what I want him to do. They are also corrupt. They are 
hypocrites. They are the Bible people, the Pharisees, and Jesus is telling them to watch out for them. Another commentator writes this, says, The figure of leaven thus describes the disposition to believe only if signs which compel faith are produced. So this is the very specific reason that Herod and the Pharisees are mentioned here, because both of them were seeking signs from Jesus that he didn't give. But more broadly, Jesus is drawing out the corruption and the selfishness of the present in the Pharisees and in uh, Herod. Uh, Another commentator writes this, it says, Leaven is a figurative description of the self-centered self-reliance of both the Pharisees and Herod Antipas. Jesus warns his disciples against such an attitude. But as we're about to see here, this is the, the disciples are not on the same page with Jesus. They are not thinking like he is thinking. Let's come back to our text here and you'll see what, what I'm talking about. So they're concerned. They've only got one loaf. Jesus gives them this warning not to be like the Pharisees, not like Herod. And so verse 16, they discuss this with one another. And they said, it is because we have no bread. We had five, we had seven, we had these loaves. We're not prepared now. We're not following the Boy Scouts motto. This is what Jesus is all about. And this is what he is upset at us over. This is kind of what is going on in their minds. Aware of their discussion, verse 17, look at it. I don't think this is Jesus' omniscience here. I think he's just in the boat with them. He's aware of their discussion. Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? They don't. Are your hearts hardened? Their hearts are on the way to being hardened. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Yes, that's their situation. And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful, basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. So we we notice here the disciples' problem is not their memory. They haven't forgotten that Jesus can provide bread. Verse 20, Jesus goes on, And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? And the reader is left here. You and I are left here going, Yeah, they don't understand. They don't understand. That Jesus is the one who can satisfy every single one of their needs. And the danger is not what they have prioritized. The danger is not, well, I didn't bring the loaf of bread and Jesus is now upset with me. That is not what is going on here. And so, do you still not understand Again, the major theme in Mark's gospel is that the reader sees that in spite of this cross that Jesus is going to die on, this shameful, scandalous death, that he is the Son of God and that he is able to provide for every single need, particularly here, the physical needs of the disciples. The disciples have seen Jesus and they recall Jesus not only providing miraculously the food of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, but they've been with Jesus just walking through grain fields. Do you remember that? They're just walking through the grain fields, and they're hungry. Again, the, the disciples are often physically hungry. And Jesus shows them that it is not a violation of the Sabbath to pick up that grain and, and, and direct injection and, and feed yourself. 
there is something much bigger that Jesus is wanting the disciples to see, and they have no awareness of it themselves, and they don't seem to understand what he is getting at. So, cultivating a Christian self-awareness. I've got five points. I want to draw out five implications from this. Number one is that you and I need to look to Scripture and ask, what is God's view on this particular situation that we find ourselves in in life? Whatever that situation is. Now, the disciples are not looking to Scripture because Jesus is in the boat with them. So they are looking to Him, and they are communicating with Him. And He is speaking the truth to them, but they are very slow, just like we are, to understand. And so they are not having an awareness of what He wants, nor are they having an awareness of what, uh, of what they want. They don't even know what their own desires should be at this point. We need to look to Scripture and ask, what is God's view on this particular situation as we seek to develop uh, self-awareness, a Christian self-awareness? Uh, John Piper writes this. It's kind of a famous sentence of his. Many of you have heard this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And the way that the disciples are operating right now is that Jesus is, is perhaps most glorified in us when we do everything just right. When we bring the bread that we are supposed to bring, and that's what we haven't done, and this is what he's getting at, and what we think our priorities are not actually God's priorities. So this is just of, of what's going on in today's passage I don't know about you, but I certainly have had many situations as I look back over my life where there were things that I thought were a major priority that actually were not important to the Lord at all. Anybody have, have, uh, think of things like that? This is what he's getting at here and wants us to grow in a self-awareness of what's important. I mean, we could summarize this little section by saying it's not about the bread. It's not about bringing the bread. Now, my uh, family could testify how I am when I'm about to go on a trip in loading up the car. Any of you dads pack the vehicle or pack the boat up when you're going to go on a trip? You got, you got a procedure? You got a plan? Um, in our home, I'm sad to say this isn't a real happy time. Um, I... I sometimes lose self-control. I'm obsessing about having all the right things, of, of living out the Boy Scouts motto. I want to make sure we have five or seven loaves of bread. And there is something to being prepared, right? Do I want an amen there? I'm not sure. There is something to being prepared. Okay, this isn't a message about, hey, just, you know, just walk out and don't do anything and don't be prepared. This isn't what this paragraph's about. This isn't what that sermon is, what this sermon is about. But what this sermon is about is putting our efforts in all of life, including preparation for trips, in its place, knowing that Jesus is sovereign and my joy and satisfaction should be coming from him, whether I happen to pack the sleeping pad for my daughter to sleep on or whether I forget it. And I'm capable of forgetting it. And then I'm capable of kind of having a temper tantrum or a freak out or kind of ruin the whole car ride up to Truckee because I forgot the pad and now we've got to buy another pad. None of you have ever done anything like that. 
So you can see me afterward if you're struggling to understand what I'm talking about here. But this is what has happened. He's talking about the loaf. We only brought one. What is God's view in this situation that I am in in life? We must interact. We can't. Jesus isn't physically in the boat with us, but we interact with him interpersonally through the work of the Holy Spirit and through our understanding of the word of God. And this can help us to to, to grow in godliness and to have a self-awareness in situations that the disciples are lacking here and that we often lack. So scripture plays a massive role. It is not about the bread. It is not about the sleeping pad. It is about me trusting Jesus and being a model of Christ as things don't always go as planned. We don't always have five loaves. We don't always have seven loaves. Sometimes we just have one, and it's going to be okay. So a second thing in cultivating Christian self-awareness, we need to look to godly friends and leaders and ask something like this. What can you tell me about myself that I really need to hear that others may not have the courage to say? Now, we have to be in relationship with people who know and love Jesus for this question to be a helpful one. Because if we ask someone who doesn't know us very well, or we ask someone who doesn't know the Lord very well, the kind of response we're going to get is not going to be a redemptive one when we ask this question, right? We can all think of people that we would not want to ask this question to. This is why intimate Christian fellowship, spending considerable amounts of time with other believers on a regular basis is so important because they can see things about us that we can't. And we need to ask them. We need to have an open invitation to some of those individuals to to respond and to speak into our lives, to do truth-telling that's going to help us develop self-awareness, and understand who we are in light of Scripture and in light of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you an example uh, of, of what I'm talking about here. Uh, and and th- this, this kind of thing needs to happen often one-on-one, right? Um, in, in our small groups even, we, we have intimate fellowship and we share things that we might share in, in other places, but, but even there, this, this is probably not going to be the place where, where this, this comes out. It, it might be, but this is more likely going to be a one-on-one kind of thing. So an, an example of what I'm talking about actually could happen in our small groups. Let's just suppose there's someone in your small group that just loves mountain biking, okay? I mean, they just love it. And week after week, in your small group, they end up talking about the, the new tires that they've gotten on their bike or the details of this pedal that they got and how much more traction and power and speed. And, and just and, and week after week, they're talking about their relationship to mountain biking as everyone is just waiting for them to end quickly. We're laughing about it, but when this happens week after week, there's, there's a couple things going on here. One is this person might have an, an inordinate love and an idol with, with his or her relationship with mountain biking. Another issue is this person may have some problems with social dynamics and understanding how we love our neighbors and what we talk about in particular settings. And so when that person asks a question, there's a couple areas that a believer might need to ask about. Uh, about are, are you excessively attached 
to mountain biking. It's a good thing, but, but you talk about it constantly in these details in ways that, that we find kind of obsessive. And then there's that social dynamic, too, that that person might need to understand. Do you, do you understand how you're coming across? So these, this is a second way that we can cultivate Christian self-awareness. Uh, a third way is to identify, identify our predominant idols. An idol is anything that we're excessively attached to, whether it's good or bad, in the place of Jesus. And not all of us, but most of us probably have idols that kind of cluster together in groups. We have tendencies, whatever they might be. We might have a tendency to, to be excessively attached to, say, physical appearance and the way that I look and, and, and envying or coveting the way other people look. And that might be an area where, where I struggle and I have a, a cluster of idols in, in that area. Or it might be in perfectionism or in performance or in making sure I've, I'm fulfilling the Boy Scout motto and I've got everything just right and I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with with perfectionism and, and being my own savior, as it were. Whatever it is, one of the things that can help us to grow in Christian self-awareness is to understand what our predominant idols are, what our style of sin is, if you will. To, to know ourselves. And we need to know what our predominant idols are so that we can change. God's will for who we are to become is to become like Christ. And so if we're going to have a Christian sense of self-awareness, that's not who I am. The, I, the things that I tend to be excessively attached to are not my identity. My identity is in Jesus. And so that I can look more like Jesus, I need to know and understand what these things are so I can move and be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So identifying your predominant idols or your cluster of sins if you have them. Now the enemy is creative and so we may be kind of all over the place. This is a, a general suggestion, but I think you, you get what I'm talking about. Are you with me, church? Are you tracking with me today? All right. So a couple more. Number four. We're talking about why we should not... Um, that's the wrong heading up there. Sorry about that. Don't look at that. Cultivating a Christian self-awareness. So that should be at the heading up there. I just noticed that. Sorry for that distraction. Number four, Jesus' work, not my own, is what sets me apart from Herod and the Pharisees. So back to our text for a second. Jesus has brought up the Pharisees and Herod because of their self-focus, because of them wanting to use Jesus instead of being used by Jesus. So what distinguishes a disciple of Jesus from these Bible people, like the Pharisees, what distinguishes us? It's not my work. It's not what I do. It's not me remembering the five or seven loaves of bread. It's not my stuff that sets me apart. It is Jesus' work that sets me apart. This is my identity. This is my self-awareness. What he has done on my behalf. David Paulison writes this. He says, the gospel says... This is his paraphrase or expression of the gospel. God accepts you just as Christ is. Christ bears the curse you deserve. Christ is fully pleasing to the Father and gives you his own perfect goodness. 
That is such good news. You and I, in spite of our failures, in spite of me losing it on a family trip with my kids, God has given me his own perfect goodness. Christ reigns in power, making you the father's child. I'm adopted into his family and coming close to you to begin to change what is unacceptable to God about you. God never accepts me as I am. You get what he's saying here? We often use that phrase, God accepts me as I am. That, that, that's kind of an insufficient description of how God accepts us. He does accept us as we are, but only because of our faith in Christ. And then he only accepts us to change us and to conform us gradually more and more into the image of Jesus. Paulison goes on. He says, he accepts me as I am in Jesus Christ. Not as I am, but as I am in Jesus Christ. The center of gravity is different. The true gospel does not allow God's love to be sucked into the vortex of the soul's lust for acceptability and worth in and of itself. Rather, it radically decenters people. It's not about the bread. It's, it's not about my performance. It's not about my merit. The gospel radically decenters people, what the Bible calls fear of the Lord and faith to look outside themselves. So what distinguishes a follower of Jesus from the Pharisees is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and in his goodness and his beauty and his righteousness that is applied to me by faith. This is good news. This is the gospel. This helps us understand who we are. This is Christian self-awareness and God-awareness. Finally, the last point I have this morning as we think about applying this passage to our lives is that self-awareness is exemplified in the shadow of awe for Christ. We do not have a positive example of the disciples here. They are not a positive example in this section of scripture. We don't have to look back far though to see a positive example. It's not the Pharisees. It's not one of the Jewish disciples. But if we look back at chapter 7 and verse 25, we see there this this Syrophoenician woman, this Greek person, this person who is the furthest away from the kind of person that we would expect to be close to God. She doesn't know a thing about the scriptures would be the implication. She's in this faraway land that Jesus has just gone to, and, and she has heard about him from a distance, and she falls at his feet. Here's an example of a woman who has the right kind of of self-awareness. Self-awareness is exemplified in the shadow of awe for Christ to the degree that you and I, whether it's physically or spiritually or in our minds or hearts, we are falling at Jesus and acknowledging his greatness and glory and our smallness. Now we're getting close to what self-awareness looks like in Christ, what Christian self-awareness looks like. I'll close this morning with, with a, a quote from a, a great article from a woman named Jen Wilkin. She writes this. She says, awe yields self-forgetfulness. When we emphasize self-awareness to the omission of self-forgetfulness, we have missed the mark. You can tell me that I am a royal daughter of the king. You can assure me that I am God's poem or his masterpiece. You can tell me that I stir the heart of God, that I am sung over and delighted in, and that I am beautiful in his eyes, that I am set apart for a sacred purpose. 
You can tell me these things and you should. But I beg you, don't tell me who I am until you have caused me to gaze in awe at I am. Though all of these statements are precious truths, their preciousness cannot be properly perceived until framed in the brilliance of his utter holiness. There can be no true self-awareness apart from right, reverent awe of God. This is what the disciples are missing. Their focus is on their own priority. And this is what we are often missing, is this awe for God. And so our self-awareness is just messed up because we have other priorities in their place, in his place. Let's bow our heads and pray. Ask the Lord to help us to grow in Christian self-awareness. Father in heaven, Lord, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful that it's not about remembering every single thing and performing at certain levels that we might put upon ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be the kind of men and women who regularly, hourly fall on our faces, as it were, that we have massive awe for you, that we put ourselves and our stuff in its right perspective. Lord, we pray that we would be able to see what our idolatrous tendencies are, those things that we get excessively attached to in life in place of you. Open our eyes. And Lord, I pray for us as a church family that we would have the kinds of relationships that would foster others speaking into us, Lord, because often we can't even see. We are so not self-aware and so unaware of what's Christ is calling us to, that we need someone else to speak into our lives. So give us those kinds of relationships uh, in the church. Help us to be, to be regularly meeting with other believers so that these kinds of relationships can form and these kinds of conversations happen in one-on-one settings. Lord, we're thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful for the interpersonal relationship we have with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you in His name. Amen.